This is Dr. I, and I am looking out the window at 1580thepraise.com. Welcome to the show. It is Saturday, and the sun is out, and I understand that there are uh, multiple community events going on this morning, including the African American Wellness March over on the east side, and as I was driving down um, Steltzer, I saw all kinds of people walking around and enjoying the weather, and we certainly have had some interesting weather here lately, but... Um, Today, when I look out the window, I don't see Dr. Joe because she's on vacation. And um, I miss her, but she knows what we're doing and what we're talking about this morning because it's a topic that's important to both of us. And let me just kind of introduce you to it. I'm sure that recently you have driven down a street and you've seen a man or a woman uh, just as thin as a skeleton with raggedy clothes on and dirt on their faces with a sign that says homeless. Anything will help. Now think about that. Homeless. Anything will help. Now some people may say that they're not real. That's a fake. They're just out there begging for money. And there may be some that are out there, but they certainly are putting on a very realistic presentation of what I would expect a person who has no food and no place to sleep to look like. And then it gets worse. Then you see them with children and the children are out there with them. And I have children and there's no way in the world I would go out and let my children be be hungry and homeless like that. I would figure something out. But maybe that's because I've been blessed with um, education and experience that allows me to continue to work and find ways to support my family. But some people are just not that fortunate. The window was created to try to pull back the curtains on certain issues that cause the wealthy to get wealthier and the poor to get poorer and the healthy to get healthier and the sick to get sicker and this ongoing historical divide between the rich and the poor and the black and the white and the immigrants and the natives. It just continues. And now it is so complicated that we felt, as we told you early on, that we had to do something to try to, to, to sift through the information and figure out what was truly going on. So today, the topic is homelessness. People living on the street, begging for food, begging for money just to live. Who are they? Where'd they come from? How'd they get there? And who really cares? A lot of people say they care, but then they drive right past them as they see them sitting on the corner. Uh, I see one man up in Westerville that sits on the corner every single day with a wheelchair and his luggage and all of his belongings are right there by him 
And as you know, we had a storm this past week. And fortunately, as I was driving by, and I did drive by because I didn't have time to stop and help, but people were helping him move his wheelchair off the street back into under a, a the, the ceiling of a shopping center. And I was glad to see that. But anyway, we have two women here this morning that I am grateful to for taking time out of their busy schedule to come and help us wrap our heads around everybody's problem and everybody's opportunity, and that's homelessness. So let me introduce you to two dedicated community servants. And I'm going to introduce them by name, but then I'm going to let them tell you why they do what they do. The first person I want to introduce you to is Aubrey Jones. And I have known Aubrey Jones since she, I think maybe since she was born. Yeah. So to look at her as an adult makes me feel like I should be enrolled in the senior citizen's home. But at any event. Aubrey Jones is the daughter of two very, very close friends of mine, and she works for the Community Shelter Board. And then after she talks about her journey, I'm going to introduce you to Sarah Loken, who works along with Aubrey at the Community Shelter Board, and she's going to tell you about her journey. And that's where we will begin the discussion about this huge issue called homelessness. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thank you for having us. So um, I'm Aubrey Jones. I am the Outreach and Youth System Manager at Community Shelter Board. I joined Community Shelter Board uh, a little over almost three years ago to work specifically on youth homelessness. So my background is clinical social work, um, mental health practice with um, really all youth. Um, I started in early childhood. Um, and have worked with youth all the way up through high school and in uh, college um, and was working with pregnant and parenting teens um, in our community um, and was even as years into social work was taken aback by the experience of homelessness that they had nowhere to go. Um, I'll never forget um, uh, a new mother, she was 19 years old, and uh, her family member she was staying with kicked her out, and she called me at 9 p.m. on a Dakota bus stop. She didn't even know how to take the Dakota bus, um, and I didn't know what to tell her. Um, she was scared to go to shelter with her newborn, um, and it really just shook me. Um, so got really passionate on what are we doing about youth uh, in our community, young adults facing homelessness, um, and that's kind of how I ended up there. Um, so I'm very um, privileged to support and lead a group of um, organizations, dedicated programs for 18 to 24 year olds. And so it's more youth centric um, with a component that's really focused on uh, getting them to their best next to transition them to adulthood, not just to in their episode of homelessness. Wow, that's a big job. It is. It's honestly, um, it, it when when we got when we received funding from HUD um, to work specifically on youth homelessness, um, I was working with pregnant parenting teens, and I was part of the team that got that funding. 
Um, and so uh, when the position became available, I was honestly excited and very um, just feeling very blessed and honored to to do this role uh, and really um, bring together our community to talk about this issue and work on it. Great, great. How about you, Sarah? Good morning. Good morning. I'm Sarah Loken. I am the Community Relations Director for Community Shelter Board. I have spent my entire career in this space and in this field, 23 years at Community Shelter Board in a number of different roles. And before I came to the Shelter Board, I worked for um, one of the shelters in our network called Friends of the Homeless um, that still operates today. Um, for me, my interest in this space really came from um, having a, a really good opportunity as a child growing up to be exposed to people who had less than I did. I, I really credit my mom and dad for um, being awake to the problems in their community and being intentional about taking us to a soup kitchen a couple times a year to roll up our sleeves and volunteer or to adopt a family that was living in a homeless shelter over the holidays and and you know shop for children who otherwise wouldn't have had the kind of Christmas morning you know that I grew up with so um, I, I really appreciate that they did not allow us to just march forward with all of our comfort and safety um, without looking back to see that not everyone is moving at the same pace not everyone has the same opportunities and so it's always been um, something that has been unsettled in me and, and I love the words that you use to describe the ongoing historical divide between the wealthy and the poor. Um, I do not have the clinical background or expertise that Aubrey does. I work in community relations and communications and government relations. My job is to talk to people about homelessness and try to get people who have money and power to think about people who don't have money and power. That's a big job too. It's really interesting. Um, my background combines both of yours. My mother was a social worker. She worked for a community organization working with youth, and then she transitioned to be the director of a senior citizens center. And she adopted a woman who had no family, and she lived by herself, and she would take me with her to see where the lady lived to I guess I was entertainment you know being a kid coming to visit but my mother took it as if it was just a responsibility it wasn't a part of her job she just knew about her situation and um, so she just made it a part of her lifestyle um, that orientation to community service I think is lost right now what do you think about that? Going out of your way to add something to your life that you don't have to do, mm -hmm. but you feel like, why not? I've been blessed, why not bless someone else? I agree. I think that not everyone thinks about it that way and we get busy in the things that we have to do, the things that we want to do, and we don't stop and take that pause and look around at what's happening around us. What about you, Aubrey? 
Um, I think my perspective is sometimes skewed because I love young people. So I think often about, um, I work with our Youth Action Board, and I ask them these kinds of questions. Why are you here and not other young people? And I think that there's a lot of focus on the individual and the self in our society right now. Um, I cannot even imagine, and this is going to sound crazy and like I'm old, but like, you know, some of my young people almost have multiple people that they're keeping up with. They have the social media self, they have um, their family self in person, they have themselves as the worker. And so there's just a lot of, honestly, I think just distraction. There's so much that you could pay attention to right now that really, I think people have lost focus on what does my community look like? I think the other thing that happens, and this partly is from talking to young people, is that they feel like they can't make a change or that they can't have an impact. And I think um, we, in the media, there's um, a lot of information about, you know, maybe things in the world or in the United States that you don't agree with happening. But I think we lose sight of the fact that you can be effective um, locally. You can be effective just in your church home, in your neighborhood, in your block, whatever that may be. And, and that's partly, I think, why we see that disconnect. And um, you're absolutely right. Sometimes, even if you listen to the news, it's overwhelming. My son told me during this pandemic, mom, just get away from the TV, back up, turn it off, because it is causing you to be depressed. And I was addicted to that TV. I, I guess I was hoping to hear something positive as we were going through the virus and the, the racial uh, murders and on and on and on and um it was coloring how i saw everything else i just was almost like why bother um and then i thought that if everybody had that attitude we're all gonna perish mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're headed on a downward spiral and um so I did turn it off. I listened to it once a day, and then I go to my list of things to do for the day. And at least one or two of those things has nothing to do with me. It has something to do with somebody else. And it may be something little. It may be something little. But at least when I go to bed at night, I can say, you know, Iris, you gave up 30 minutes of your time to do this, or you gave away this to somebody I think that somewhere in the transfer of culture from baby boomers like me to millennials and Gen X's, we failed you all. We failed our young people by teaching them that, yeah, you may be doing okay, but you're never going to be as good as you could be if you don't help somebody else. What do you think about that? Have we lost something in the, you said your parents passed it on to you. I know your parents did. Did we lose something along the way? Maybe we did. It doesn't feel right to me to um, blame it on the boomers. <laughs> uh, I, I, You're not a boomer. <laughs> I, um, your parents probably are. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, my parents did give that to me. And uh, yeah, I think it's true that not everyone has that. I'm trying to 
give it to my kids and and the way you're framing it is making me stop and think am I doing a good enough job (laughs) in that space I mean I I don't want to I don't I don't want to um you know miss an opportunity to make sure that is deeply ingrained for them as it is for me what about you Aubrey you know I think uh, it really comes down to purpose. And one thing that I can say about my parents is um, reflecting on their gigs. Uh, they both worked in kind of corporate America. So as a social worker, that sounds like a horrible gig. But um, <laughs> what they shared with me, honestly, was a passion for the work that they did. Even though I may not have been able to understand it, they very much loved their work. And they showed within the work that they did a purpose. They They were doing something every day. They were going to work with a purpose. And I think sometimes especially just depended on what you do um early in my career i was in a collection call center wasn't the most glamorous job but if i'd stayed there and never shared with my children what was i doing actually in that role how was i impacting you know people or impacting the company i think that is a piece of it it's just understanding that you can impact the world you we all have purpose the ability to do something and change the world but I think that's the part that kind of gets lost and I think that we've got to teach our children and for me my grandchildren that if you are standing in a room full of people or you're in school or you're in church there's a lesson waiting for you in that spot if you pay attention if you go in there goofy and try and go to sleep or something like that you're missing an opportunity because if you just look around you and you use your critical thinking skills you're going to see an opportunity for you to do something to make a difference even if it's giving away some of your clothes i tell you my kids had so many clothes to the point where every year i just boxed up a bunch of them and gave them away they weren't going to wear them because they said that they didn't like what I bought so there they are with tags on them and they'll just give them away um there are so many opportunities to look at where you stand and see who's standing below you or hidden from you and make a difference and certainly in the homeless space I know there's a lot of opportunity. Briefly, before we take a break, tell us the mission of the Community Shelter Board. The Community Shelter Board is a collective impact organization that works with 15 different partner agencies to deliver an array of different services in the community to serve people facing homelessness. So we are driving strategy around homelessness prevention, street outreach, shelter, and uh, different forms of housing all geared toward the belief that housing is what solves homelessness, and we're gonna keep at it until everyone has a place to call home. Who are those other agencies? There are 15 agencies in our network, and if you've never heard of Community Shelter Board, I'm sure you've heard of Faith Mission, or Friends of the Homeless, Mm -hmm. or Volunteers of America. Mm -hmm. Um, So a number of different players in that scene, um, Mary Haven, Community Housing Network, Homeless Families Foundation, a number of um, really hardworking, um, grassroots focused, you know, doing the work, boots on the ground, um, working face to face with people every day, even during a pandemic. Well, how do you keep yourself uplifted at your job with that mission? Um, 
it's it's always been kind of easy for me. I think, um, you know, every day working on behalf of the folks that we're entrusted to serve, it's kind of hard to be grumpy and come to work. Like I have, there's work to do uh, and it doesn't end. Um, and I really just feel honored. The other thing is the folks we serve, you know, they are some of the most resilient, um, amazing, wisest human beings that I'm able to then interact with on a regular basis. And that helps me be a better human being. Well, we've got to take a quick break here. We're going to come back and talk about who is the homeless when we come back on the window. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We are back on the window with two very informed um, members of the Community Shelter Board, and we are talking about our problem of the homelessness. Now, Sarah and Aubrey, I want you to give our audience a profile of a homeless woman, a homeless man, and a homeless teen. What generally put them in that category? Mm-hmm. I'll start with the woman and the man, and then Aubrey can speak about the okay. teen. So um, the typical woman that we see coming to shelter and needing help is a mom who's got two, she's young, she's a young mom. She's typically got two kids that are very young, under the age of seven. Um, She's working, um, but she is working a low wage job and trying to figure out how to balance um, childcare with an income that does not cover rent in our community for what it costs to afford a safe, decent place to live. You know, many of us can relate to being a working mom and having to juggle, I gotta be to work, I've gotta do this job, I've gotta hustle, and I've gotta make sure my kids are taken care of. A lot of us, though, the difference between us and this mom showing up at the door of a shelter is um, the network, the family and social network of people who care about her and wanna help her Mm -hmm. be successful. So her family's not there for her. She either um, doesn't have a family those bonds have been broken or she has a family who is hustling as hard as she is and they don't have the capacity to help her make up you know the the car repair that happened that set her behind on the rent they don't have a way to help her when um, the child care closed and she didn't have a place to take those kids so that she could make sure she kept showing up at work every day um, because they're in the same boat as she is so that's really the the only difference between me, you, and the mom in shelter today. Um, is there a, a particular demographic? Is it black? Is it white? Is it an immigrant? Are they are they um, disabled or, or anything like that? A disproportionate number of those moms that we see are women of color, mm-hmm. um, and that is because of all of the historical reasons that we already know about why women of color are not keeping pace with their wages, with their housing, with their opportunities from the start, with their education. Um, and so that's why we see a disproportionate number of women of color in shelters, and that's across all men, women, and children. Um, Yeah, so mostly like 60 to 70% African American, um, 
mostly the rest of the balance is Caucasian. Um, sometimes immigrant families, but not so much. Um, the tendency among families who are immigrating are to really Clean. huddle up together yeah. And, yeah. And, and live together, yes. Let me throw this out here. I bet you there's probably some domestic violence involved. Sure, absolutely. Um, that put them in that, that role. How does, how does that impact their ability to, to, to manage homelessness? Mm-hmm. Are they always in fear or mm-hmm. do you get into that at all? Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, which is why we have specific programming um, to help rehouse folks that are survivors of domestic violence mm-hmm. specifically so that they're getting um, that um, lens put on their housing opportunity. So we're getting them to stable housing at the same time, engaging them in um, kind of getting through that trauma and really just healing. Hmm. Okay. What about that man, Sarah? Yeah, the man is typically going to be um, in his, the typical or average is a man in his 40s. Um, Again, disproportionately men of color, someone who um, is more likely to have some sort of um, disability or barrier or substance abuse or, you know, kind of mental health challenge that is really affecting his ability to be successful. Um, that's typically what we see with men. Would you have anything to add to that? Um, conviction. So one of the biggest things, I think this is across the board, um, and even with young people, um, is that um, a history of you know felony convictions makes it very difficult to find a place to rent. And so in the mix of all of that, we have folks that are struggling to just find the landlord to rent to them um, because of that. So that there's that mix in there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about the youth? So youth are a little uh, more unique in the kind of risk factors and reasons for becoming homeless. So we did a comprehensive needs assessment for Franklin County, and we know about 30% of the youth that are facing homelessness, 18 to 24, in Franklin County had a history of foster care. And if you've ever um, known anybody who was in foster care or um, worked with youth in foster care, you know that there's a disconnection, right, between you and your uh, family of origin. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes um, you leave foster care and you may or may not have attachments to that family that um, are sustained in adulthood. And then you may or may not have connections to your family of origin. And if you do, they can be very loose, right? Because there's just not that bond. These are mm-hmm. not necessarily the folks that raised you. And so that's a huge demographic. And then you compound that, right, with foster care um, and um, the engagement in kind of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and mental health issues in young people are... Um, um, there's higher rates of mental health issues in foster care, right? So then it, the issue starts to compound, right? So then we have young people who may also be struggling with a mental health issue. Maybe they're the first, they're managing it for the first time in their life on their own. So 18, 19, there's a huge difference between how you receive mental health treatment as a minor versus an adult, and that transition can be difficult. And then the biggest risk factor that we see is um, high school diploma. So if you do not have a high school diploma, you are 346% more likely to experience homelessness 18 to 24 
this is the high, a higher risk factor than any other risk factor that we look at, whether it be race, history of foster care, um, identifying as LGBTQIA, pregnant parenting. These are all higher risk factors, but they are not uh, touching uh, lack of high school diploma. Well, I hate to bring this up, but what has the pandemic done to, I guess, aggravate mm-hmm. or, or worsen this situation? It's really exacerbated what was already a very serious problem. And when we talk about risk factors for homelessness and, and what's the profile of who's homeless in our community, we really also have to talk about the fact that the game is rigged. We have to talk about the fact that there is not enough housing for everyone. There are 54,000 households in our community that are paying more than half of their income on rent. It's not sustainable. They're not going to make it. Um, And, you know, there's just this gap between what what wages are and what it costs to take care of yourself in our community the game is rigged and so not everybody is going to win a lot of people are going to lose and um, I was looking up this stat that in um, when you look at the minimum wage rate in our state someone who earns minimum wage in Ohio has to work 76 hours a week in order to afford a modest two-bedroom apartment and not be housing costs burdened and paying a way too high a percentage of their income on rent. Do they still have Section 8? They do. They don't have enough. <laughs> there's not enough to go around. Um, there's like one unit for one affordable unit or one voucher for every four families who would qualify for it. And is that because the landlords don't want to get in that game anymore? I, I don't. Why aren't there more landlords participating? It's about the vouchers coming down from HUD more than unwilling landlords. We've got some great landlords in our community, Mm -hmm. um, and and we've been really intentional over the past couple years about um, building those relationships and really creating a network of landlords who are very open to second-chance renters and people with less than perfect credit. Um, But the voucher issue is just one of... It's, it's the decisions at the top are affecting communities all across the country on that issue. Wow, 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 wow. So this is complicated. So how do young people figure it out? Uh, that's why they need our support. Um, they are, you know, in the way that, th- that we're successful and the way that they're successful is creating kind of a web of support, whether it be, you know, organic or you know your family of origin or your community or your neighbor or providers you know providers that are helping with utility assistance helping with you know going to the food pantry I always talk about working with pregnant parenting teens once we got them stably housed that's not where it stopped then we sat down and we said now you're going to go to the food pantry every month before you spend your food stamps and you're going to see what you get at the food pantry and then you're going to spend it and we're going to get you on utility assistance we want all that cash that you're bringing into the house to go to rent because there's not uh you know a subsidized necessarily rent right and so how do we build a budget and a lot of it is um keeping their head above water until they can go through training finish school right until they can get to a place that they can get a livable wage and all of us would be in the same boat at 19 20 21 
um, as far as our ability to earn wages. And so it's, if anything, um, these young folks are on a, uh, you know, kind of a, a speed track because they need to get there faster than, than their counterparts because they're, they're on their own. And you said that the high school diploma is a hurdle. Yeah, so if you, if you can imagine being a young person, whether it be in foster care, whether it be um, your home life wasn't the most stable, right? And so you're leaving, um, you can't go get your own house, right, as a minor or anything like that. So you're leaving maybe and hanging out with friends and then you're across this, you know, across town. And so you don't even have the bus to school. So you miss a week of school and then you miss a week here. And maybe, you know what, you um, have a manager at the local, you know, uh, fast food who says, I don't mind you know paying you under the table to work 40 or 50 hours and so you you quit school to do that because you need income today and it makes sense for you to do it today I'm going to eat today versus a high school diploma there's no attachment necessarily because I'm not there at the place in my life where I understand what it's like to be without the high school diploma it's not until I get there right and that's too late and so that's oftentimes what we see and then they may be experiencing homelessness as an adult and just haven't gotten they meant to get back to you know GED high school diploma and haven't gotten there yet. So is there an effort to connect them back with their families and try to put that piece back together? Absolutely. So all of our youth-centric programming not only focuses on stabilizing housing, but really is intentional about asking about educational goals and what do you need, what supports do you need um, to, to accomplish those, what employment goals do you have, um, other partners in the community are working on um, housing related to um, education. So Scholar House 3 just opened up. This is for youth who have experienced foster care. They can become a full-time student and live in Scholar House, a supportive student environment um, where if they're not working, their rent is paid. Um, and they're able to, to finish their education and stay there until their education is, is finished. So there's multiple people and, and many people looking at this because it, it really is the answer is making sure that they get their education. What's the youngest homeless child that you have worked with? Me personally, 15 is the youngest that I've ever seen that um, genuinely didn't have a connection to family. What happened? In this case, it was um, a lot of foster care issues. So um, <laughs> this is what I, anybody who's raised teenagers knows it's difficult and it's hard for you to even like that child some days. <laughs> and so imagine, yep. <laughs> imagine not only are you 15 and you've experienced foster care and you've been in and out of people's homes, but then at 15, you're returned to your mother who you've had no relationship and has not raised you since the age of three. And you're a 15 year old. So that is just a recipe, honestly, for disaster. A mother who was um, newly sober from a long history of drugs and alcohol, getting a 15 year old back into her custody. And so that's really what happened. And, and the mother could not do it. She was worried about her own sobriety. Um, and, and, and that's what she chose. And so we had a 15 year old who, who had no place to go. And I guess that in some cases, children are taken out of homes because of um, misconduct by some of the parents, maybe the fathers, or molest or whatever. You have to deal with that kind of stuff too. 
Absolutely. Now, luckily, we have a strong children's services partnership. And so a 15-year-old most likely is going to be served by the child welfare system and kind of get to their best next that way. Um, but we definitely also serve, you know, 17, 18-year-olds. To me, there's not a huge difference between mm -hmm. a 15 and an 18-year-old. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's not not a huge uh, a huge difference. So it, some of our 18-year-olds are 15 mm -hmm mentally or you know still still trying to get through those developmental milestones and and on top of all of that the the values of living um, with this younger generation the wholesome values the values of self-sufficiency and of caring for others and for honesty and all those kinds of things are lost when there's not a full-time serious parent in the picture I would assume you know the biggest thing I see with young people experiencing homelessness that they struggle with is when you have as a child gone without your basic needs met sometimes you don't know that that was a need you should have been meeting and then as an adult um, that has um, impacted their standard of living mm -hmm. Um, and so from the outside, it looks like they're not doing this or they're not doing that or they didn't get this value. And really, they just don't know different. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. But I do want to ask you about the structure of the Community Shelter Board before we go to the break. You have we, a directors and yes we are um 32 people strong small organization um of a lot of really passionate hard-working people who are um really just enjoy being together and doing this work um we are led by michelle heritage our executive director um we have a social work team of really brilliant people like aubrey we have um expert fundraisers who know how to engage the corporate community we have government relations experts who know how to make sure that the elected officials in our community are thinking about these issues um, and then we have data scientists who who track and measure the heck out of everything mm -hmm. to make sure that what we're doing actually works. Mm, okay, and uh, what about out in the community? Are there opportunities for volunteers? How about there that? Are, there are, there are a lot of different ways to get involved between volunteering with Community Shelter Board or even more fun with one of our 15 partners who are delivering services in the community. Lots of opportunities to roll up your sleeves and help serve a meal or read to kids or collect donations and do um, sock drives and make hygiene kits. There's a lot to do. Okay. Um, we've got to take a break now and then we're going to come back and talk to two, um, these two wonderful women about the programs available for people that are in the homeless condition on the window. talking about the plight of the homeless here in Central Ohio. How many people are homeless just off the top of your head here? 
1,700 is our estimate, our estimate of how many people are homeless on any given day. So tonight. And these are the people that are out in the streets homeless. Some about a 1, thousand, 1,100, 1,200 of them are in shelter beds. Okay. So you you only know about the people you see on the street. There are uh, a lot of people that are actually um, inside a shelter bed and and getting some help to. Um, get back on track and get some assistance to get back into housing. And I bet that they don't want anybody to really know how they are living behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't. Okay. Well, tell us, um, now you've got women and men. What programs are available to uh, lead them to a more sustainable lifestyle? All of our programs are, are really built around this principle called Housing First, which means Um, housing is the solution to homelessness and housing is what we need to work on we don't need to work on um, your character or your your work ethic or even frankly your substance dependence or Or anything like that right like Mm -hmm. housing is going to um, stabilize you and create a foundation where you can actually move to the next level on Maslow's hierarchy of need in bettering yourself and and setting some goals from there but housing is just basic and it has to come first and so all of the programs in our network are really designed around that strong belief and so we have street outreach teams um, that Aubrey works with that go out um, trying to engage people who are um, staying outside and talk to them about options what they might be eligible for for subsidized housing or you know what is the barrier that's that's keeping them from from being safe and, and try to help with that and connect them to services that they need um, and then obviously we have shelters we have a number of shelters all across the community all accessed through one centralized homeless hotline phone number and everything that happens in a shelter is geared around keeping someone safe tonight and figuring out how do we get them back toward housing tomorrow um, so a lot of a lot happens in shelters where caseworkers come in and and work with people and set goal plans and get connected to um, open-minded landlords get connected to um, you know where do you actually want to be how can we help you figure out a plan for um, child care the job the housing um, to get people moving in the right direction and then um, sometimes if the barrier is just that security deposit you know while I wait to save up that security deposit I might be here for another month or two got it like let's check that box and get that done it would cost us less Mm. to help you out with that security deposit than it would be to shelter and feed you for two more months while you save that money Mm -hmm. and so that's you know this is this is about resources money solves problems so Mm -hmm. we can help people get to housing faster and really reduce um, the amount of time that someone is in such an awful experience um, of homelessness and so we do that Um, and then we have what we call uh, permanent supportive housing, which is subsidized housing that has a lot of services wrapped around it. And that's for people who have a disabling condition of one type or another who really aren't gonna make it on their own. Maybe they've experienced 
chronic homelessness a number of times or over a very long period of years, and there's something going on there that is keeping them from being successful. Um, without this housing that has services wrapped around it, they're going to be um, in and out of emergency rooms or jails or hospitals. And so it costs less for our community to help provide um, a safe and decent apartment for them to live with services right on site to make sure they have the medical care that they need or um, whatever else it is that they need to be stable and to thrive. Before I forget, I've been reading that um, the moratorium on evictions is up in uncertainty and that there are landlords just waiting to evict people. And that's going to increase the number of people looking for affordable housing. Are you all kind of planning some plan B for this? I think we're bracing. Um, It's a good word. Yeah, bracing and being um, real about the fact that um, the, the pandemic and the fallout from the eviction moratorium and um, the evictions that um, are forthcoming, you know, that we may in the homeless crisis response system be working on this for the next couple of years to try and get back to, to a baseline that we were at before. Mm-hmm. The eviction moratorium has been a saving grace for thousands and thousands of people in our community. Mm-hmm. We right now have the lowest number of families with children in our shelters than we've had in the last decade. And it's because of that eviction moratorium. So we absolutely um, are bracing, as Aubrey said, for a big influx of people who are going to need help. There are a lot of families doubled up right now, we believe, where one eviction means two families are on the streets, mm-hmm. not just one. Mm-hmm. And you know that's political, right? Mm-hmm. That's those decisions up in the ivory towers that have never experienced what poverty really looks like, which goes back to my premise. There's this ongoing battle between maintaining the world to be comfortable for the wealthy and uncomfortable for the people that are not wealthy. And there's absolutely, in my mind, no legitimate reason for there to be a fight about evictions right now. I mean, I'm a boomer. I've never, ever seen a world so divided and so um, vile in certain respects as I have right now, where there are true um, actions motivated by hatred. I don't even remember saying the word that much until now, but that's kind of what I see um, on the streets, I see it in institutions, I see it on the TV, and it just comes down to people that are underprivileged are discardable to the wealthy and the powerful. I think too, I, it comes down to a choice. Do you want to live in a community where a young mother of two also lives in the same community or cannot afford to live in the same community as you? Do you want to live in a community where somebody can, um, you know, pay their debt to society, go to jail or prison, come out, 
um, and live a healthy, normal life in our community? Or do you not do you want a community where that's not a possibility? Where a young person, 18 to 24 years old, who is working full time and trying to go to college part time, do you want that person to be part of your community or not? And I think that's really where we're at is it has to be an intentional choice and action toward that. Um, and there may be people pulling the action the other way, but I think if enough of us really take the time to decide, is this the community that I want? Is this the community I want to raise my children in? And if we decide yes, then we take action because that is what we need to do in order to make sure that the folks that we're talking about have a place to call home in our community. You have collaborators on this mission, other organizations that are part of it. Who would they be? On the eviction issue specifically, um, we are one of the founding organizations of the Affordable Housing Alliance of Central Ohio, and that is a group of um, very large nonprofit organizations all focused on housing, and they're doing a lot of advocacy at um, the county and state levels around this eviction stuff. Um, You know, one thing I think that is an important distinction to make is that whatever happens with this moratorium right now municipalities are being given the the um opportunity to decide whether they want to lift it or stay under the moratorium franklin county is not making the right choice on that issue that doesn't mean that um sensible landlords can't do what they know is right or can't frankly do what makes financial sense you there's rental assistance available right now that helps someone pay back a few months of back rent well if you evict you get nothing so there is an incentive there is a good reason for landlords to to pause and think twice regardless of what is happening in our community around the moratorium. Okay. Um, I also learned when I was in banking that affordable housing is not always um, created for the purpose of making it as affordable as it could be. Um, When projects were approved at the state level for affordable housing, these huge fees would go to the developers. And I was chair of multifamily housing for the state. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is kind of like, okay, this is where we stop, but this this guy over here as a developer is gonna walk away with all this money just for putting the deal together. And then the people still don't have a real affordable rental for this place um and it and it just doesn't seem to change that's been 15 years ago um so we're almost at the end of our time but i want to put i want to ask you all just list the ways that the public can help with this ongoing seems like everlasting dilemma you should do it Um, So first, I think the first thing you can do is look around you um, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your day to day, in your in your job. Um, There may be entry level folks that are struggling that you can support, um, whether that be um, financially or uh, mentorship. like Sarah said, uh, we have 15 partner organizations that are do amazing work daily and you could volunteer for them. You could donate financially. Um, the funding that we get 
uh, from the government and from foundations is great, um, but we really rely on uh, personal donations from the community to fill the gaps in what the funding um, from other sources cannot pay for to make a, a, that wraparound full service for the folks we're serving. Um, I think that's all I can think of. Mm -hmm. What about personal involvement, volunteers to, to, to do things at the shelters? What's available there? Yeah, every different shelter is going to have a, a, a different program set up for great ways to engage volunteers. And some of them are really interesting. There are community gardens at a few of the shelters where um, people who are staying at the shelter have an opportunity to help uh, do some sweat equity and, and learn about gardening and learn about fresh, healthy food. Um, that's a really fun volunteer activity is to join in in those efforts. Um, there are opportunities, a lot of opportunities around food, around preparing food and serving food or helping pay for how much it costs to feed 50 families in one day, <laughs> like at the YWCA Family Center. Um, they have a really cool program where you can um, gather the funds within your own network or within your church or within your family or a, your department at work to say, um, let's pay for the meal. Let's pay for Sunday's dinner at the YWCA Family Center and make sure that 50 families have a good hot meal that night, even if the pandemic is keeping them from being able to gather and prepare that food together. Um, they can still gather all of the ingredients and drop it off, or they can um, do take up a collection and provide the money that makes that meal possible. Um, so our partner agencies have gotten pretty creative during the pandemic to find ways for people to still be involved. What about on the policy end? On the policy end, um, giving to community shelter board helps support our advocacy work um, i also think it's always a great idea to be talking to your own members of the house and the senate and let them know that you care about these issues and that you are concerned about the fact that there is not enough affordable housing in our community um, at the policy level you can say that to anyone and everyone that you meet and remember there by the grace of God go I. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't think that those two principles have been passed along the way they should. And um, for an organization like yours, it's critical because the very people that are in your shelters could have been me, could have been any one of us. Um, and so I think that right now, folks, yes, we are struggling with this pandemic, but if you're listening to this broadcast and they're knowing that there are people that are just wishing that they could have what you have, there's probably something that you can do very easily to help out. So please, right now, before we have to end, give the audience contact information phone number, email, whatever um, you can give them so that they might be able to get in touch with you. Sure. At csb.org, csb for community shelter board.org, you can learn more about the work in the homeless system. You can get connected to our 15 partner agencies. You can um, make get connected to make a donation to us or to any of those agencies and connect to all of their volunteer opportunities. Okay. You got any special days coming up? 
We have a special event coming up on November 5th called Masquerade. It's a party with a purpose to um, get together and have fun and socialize with our masks on to be safe. Um, and we, uh, it's like a little bit of a Mardi Gras theme with eye masks. Is too. it virtual or? It's in person. Oh, it's okay. in person and it's masked unless um, health mm-hmm. advisories um, require otherwise at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to get together and have fun and raise money. And where is it and when is it again? It's the evening of November 5th and it is at uh, St. Charles. Oh, okay. So save what the time? date. 6 p.m. And uh, there's more details at csb.org. Okay. Well, that's uh, everybody's looking to have a little fun these mm-hmm. days, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to thank you all, Aubrey and Sarah, for coming and spending time at, on the window talking about our dilemma homelessness our fellow citizens of central ohio are struggling folks so please come out of your ivory tower and look to your resources to help Um, we are going to be back next saturday on the window and hopefully dr joe will be here with me but in the meantime stay safe stay alert And we will see you next Saturday, or we will talk with you next Saturday on The Window. Thank you. Enjoy your week.